Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Film Freaks. I'm your host Derek and with me as always is fellow horror film enthusiast, well now fellow horror film enthusiast. I'm getting there. Yes, he's getting there folks. Maddie G! Hey yo, what's up? Oh, you know, nothing much. Just enjoying the uh, horror fest that we're doing. You know, chilling, chilling. Been a fun time so far. What have you been up to since last episode? Oh, well, I beat a nerd at a certain card game that, you know, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh? You might have have heard of it. Bro, you say? Oh, no. (laughs) He's using that Alba Strike Structure deck, and he just happened to not get lucky with the draw. I don't feel good about that win. I want to go back to it sometime. You're on. You're on, mate. You're on. (laughs) So, if you missed last episode... What we did was we had a discussion on Halloween, the movie Halloween. And what we did was we discussed a lot about how it still holds up to this day, while at the same time also just kicking off our Halloween event, right? Where we still call this spook fest, horror fest, something like that. I still like calling it a horrorthon for some reason. Horrorthon? Kind of or... sounds a little wrong. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> We'll figure out a name. Anyway, it's soon to be named. But anyway, what are we covering today? Well, we certainly have a very interesting topic today. A movie that you may have seen before, maybe not. I only remember one of the scenes in it because of a meme that circulated around the internet. But hey, if you like supernatural events and stuff and like a few good creepy scenes and spooks maybe we're talking about the babadook all right going into this film as per the normal what do you think the budget going into this movie was you looked at me afterwards and you're like i can't wait to know what the budget is for this one so remembering that again saul was 1.2 million dollars or whatever yeah and thor was like 150 something million or whatever what do you think the budget of the babadook was Well, honestly, going through this movie and trying to pick apart the effects and everything, they did have some bit of CGI. Yeah, 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 a lot of the monster had a lot of CGI times. Yeah, the monster was animated and all that. And honestly, it did seem like there was a little bit of like budgeting going on with the movie. Personally, I don't know if that's actually the case. Compared to what Saw was, what Halloween was, I'm going to make a guess and say around maybe two million, three million. That's probably more. Folks, Betty, you just hit it on the nail. I did. Two million dollars. Yeah. Two million dollars <laughs> nice. US dollars. See? See you got it on the on the spot. Awesome. So, That's so cool. Yeah. So comparatively, Halloween was 300,000. So it's really cool to see what all was done with this movie. So what is the story of the Babadook? So the story about the Babadook is you have this family. Well, almost a family. There's a mother and her child. The father, unfortunately, was killed in a car crash bringing the mother to the hospital so that she could give birth to her son. That's established in the movie. Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say spoiler alert. I mean, not entirely, but, yeah, but it's enough It's part to, of the main plot. Yeah, enough to kind of tell you, hey, there's some spoiler stuff. 
Yeah, and, and it's really interesting because from this, you know, she is experiencing a lot of grief. And it's to the point where the monster in this, the Babadook, is actually powered in some ways by grief. In fact, could we, and we'll go further more into this, but I personally feel the monster actually does represent her grief entirely, like as an emotion or as a physical, feasible being, you know? That is the monster of this movie. The primary antagonist is grief. Her kid is very annoying. She is just having the worst time isn't she that kid is just absolutely obnoxious it's one of those things where it's just like wow there's some trivia here as well i'll read a, one of the goofs is at around 31 minutes when the kid actually pushes the little girl when she's like telling him you don't have a dad or whatever he pushes her out of the treehouse backwards so like shoves her like they're facing each other mm-hmm but she manages to flip around and fall on yeah, her face. Yeah, I kind of noticed yeah. that. That yeah. was weird. <laughs> but at the same time, I didn't really care too much because she was being an absolute prick to this kid. So you can't say it wasn't deserved. Fair enough. Of the film's total budget of $2.5 million, $30,071 was raised via Kickstarter. Most mm. funds raised from Kickstarter were channeled toward the art department. That's so, interesting. That's... A Kickstarter campaign that actually succeeded and made a film out of it. Yeah. The Babadook is based on the short film Monster of 2005. The director called it Baby Babadook. And, oh, here's one that I actually appreciate. Director Jennifer Kent holds the rights to the film. When asked if there would be a sequel, she said, quote, I will never allow any sequel to be made because it's not that kind of film. I don't care how much I'm offered. It's just not going to happen, end quote. Thank you. Yeah, so those are a couple of things. Babadook in Hebrew, I believe it says here, is means he's coming for sure. Things like that. But the, oh yeah, Babadook is an anagram for a bad book. Things like that. Just reading a few things off IMDb. What's your opinion on the fact that there's not going to be a sequel to this? It doesn't need it. I mean, it is kind of set up in a way that there could be a sequel made from it. But at the same time, I don't really think it's needed because we've seen stuff before of the after effects of a monster like this coming into the world and what has to be done to either prevent it from getting more power or to just eliminate it outright. Yeah, and it's one of those stories where... I love how ambiguous the ending is. So let's go ahead and dive into this. So you start us off with some points here, because I know you wrote some stuff down. What really happens is, I also want to ask you actually before we get to that, what did you think of Ezzy Davis's performance as Amelia and Noah Wiseman's performance as Samuel? Because those are really the two primary protagonists we follow, right? The kid. Yeah, is, the kid uh, and the wife. Yeah, the, or well, yeah, the mother. Not the kid and the mother. The, the father is the one that died. Okay. But yeah. what do you, you think about S.C. Davis and Noah Wiseman's performances, both as Amelia was, and Samuel, respectively? I was really happy with it. I thought it was well done on both parts. The kid being the absolute obnoxious little, <laughs> little runt that he you is. You can say it. You can say it. I don't want, I don't want to insult him too bad. Well, no, I the mean, character's meant to be really annoying, you know? Yeah, he's supposed to be obnoxious. But in the end, the personality of this kid really did pull it through and bring a resolution to the story. He was able to do stuff to actually survive through this entire endeavor that any other kid probably would have just freaked out or been, you know. 
Yeah, and so I also wanted to let you know that because the budget was $2 million, I wanted to ask you what you think the entire worldwide gross was, internationally, box considering, gross. Considering how well this movie went, at least on a personal viewing, and the fact that there was an actual meme coming <laughs> from this movie at one point, I don't know how much it grossed. I'm probably, I'll say like 50, 100 million? 10.5 million. Okay, so maybe I give that's, it a little bit that, more. No, credit. that's kind of criminal, honestly, though, because of how great this movie really is. It really is. I good. think it's kind of a, a criminal thing. I didn't see this when it came out. I was actually in 2014. I was 15, 16 years old, so I didn't see this. Either I, way, for a budget of two million, that's still really good for a movie. Yeah, but anyway, go ahead. I wanted to hear your thoughts. So, still kind of hooking on to the end of the movie a little bit. It was just really interesting to see how this whole movie progressed from the beginning to the end. The Babadook as a monster. Actually, you know what? I'm going to start a little bit more towards the beginning here. Fair enough. Also, with you saying that, this has been nominated for 14 different awards yeah uh, i can see that empire award for best horror double a c t a whatever that means award for best film critics choice movie award for best young picture best actress from uh, international award critics choice i mean empire award for best female newcomer things like that i mean so it's not a film that hasn't been recognized yeah. i just wanted to establish that it's been recognized i mean it still earns it grows 10 million you said right 10.5 yeah 10.5 million i want to ask you does is this film do you still find that this film is still criminally underrated i think so I think so too. It's one of those movies where I think it needs so much more attention. But like you said, thank God there's no sequel coming out because I'm thankful that the director was like, no, there will not be a sequel. There is no way. Jennifer Kent, power to you for just not falling into the trap of Hollywood, which is if it does so great and it succeeds, sequel after sequel after sequel. We talked about this in Halloween. Not everything needs a sequel. It's like there are ways to carry this out, but I think it's more symbolistic than an actual sequel. And we'll get into that. We will. But go ahead. You wanted to start at the beginning, you said. Yeah, I wanted to start more towards the beginning because compared to what modern day horror currently is, and again, this is something that we touched on during the Halloween episode of the quite, podcast. Quite a bit, too. Quite, yeah. You had an entire rant. In fact, oh, there's, yeah. there's actually a whole five, maybe ten minute section of just him going on about <laughs> all of this that I couldn't include in the episode simply because it would make the whole thing a little too long. Yeah, we, we try to make these episodes, believe it or not, we try to have a goal. We try to keep these between 45 minutes to an hour. And we just, it's a whole episode that needs to be done in and of itself. The problem, and I did one with my previous co-host where we talked about the problem with modern horror. But I think the way that you and I would approach it, I think we can go back and rehash it and perhaps even make, two episodes in and of itself just especially after yeah. halloween and stuff when we're done seeing all these horror films because we'll watch a few modern horror films just to see you know some that are regarded bad some that are good you know and the staples oh yeah but, and it is definitely yeah. a topic i want to go touch upon at some point as well yeah for sure but go ahead so, yeah, when it comes to the movie, you have the mother and the child, and, well, the mother's just being a mother trying to take care of this child. The child has these night terrors, and the typical mother, she goes to check under the bed, in the closet, for whatever monster might be there. 
surprise, surprise, there's no monster at all. It doesn't exist. But progressively throughout the movie, she reads these nighttime stories to the child. And one of those nights, she says, hey, you can pick the story this time. And the kid decides to pull out this red book that says The Babadook. Well, actually, I think it it says Mr. Babadook. Or Mr. Babadook. Yeah. Yeah, Either way, it says the name of the monster. And, well, you know, it's a little weird that it's there. What, What is this book that my child has brought to me to read? Either way, he chose, so she starts reading it. And it's like a children's pop-up book kind of story. That's one of the coolest things to me about this. I've seen this kind of concept before in other horror stories, but of a different media genre, like video games, for instance. I actively watch a lot of horror video games on YouTube, and this is not a new concept to me, but to see it in a movie format, it was very well done, and it's honestly something that I absolutely love as a concept for horror taking something as innocent as a childhood thing or some sort of youth moment and turning it into something weird and twisted yeah and one of the things that really stuck out to me actually after we watched this movie is you looked at me you said this is what the bye bye man should have been it really is (laughs) I want to kind of hear what you mean by that. And the reason I wanted to hear that, by the way, is because The Bye Bye Man isn't a movie that I really take and compare to other films, especially in any genre, including horror. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very... No, The Bye Bye Man was just a joke of a movie. Yeah, and, and so what I'm curious to know is how do you think this kind of element, you know what I mean? Like, how would this be the better version of The Bye Bye Man? Honestly, I'm surprised if you don't even notice it because when it comes to the bye-bye man you have this monster that once you see the name you're not supposed to think it or say it otherwise the monster gains more power well in this one once you find out about the babadook the longer you linger on the existential dread or whatever this horror brings upon you the stronger it gets and progressively over the movie that monster does get stronger. On top of that, the bye-bye man makes you see things that aren't there and makes you do things that you normally wouldn't. In this movie, the Babadook makes the mother see these hallucinations and horrors or whatever. And on top of that, she's also acting in a different way that she normally wouldn't have. She almost brings herself to harm her own child. And she she does end up killing the family dog. She does. And that yeah. was really sad and my yeah. heart broke. I am yeah. <laughs> God, I hate that. <laughs> I do too. I mean there's obviously there was no animals well, harmed yeah. in this the making of the film. I actually think a hundred percent of films for the most part should be like that. If they're not, I mean I don't see a point. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that it was really interesting to actually see she kills the dog and then she turns to her kid with the knife and she starts going after him and I was like okay this is really curious and what Mm -hmm. I love was when the Babadook actually possesses the mother you actually see the Babadook tries to play to the kid's heartstrings a little bit she's like hey you'll come out I'll make it up to you and you're kind of like uh 
no, that's that's not the mother. That's the Babadook. And the Babadook actually takes the form of the mother. You see her glide across the room and stuff. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I did like as well, was that the Babadook was actually becoming awesome. the mother. Because it's now this idea of, when is Amelia Amelia, and when is Amelia just, the, like, you know, the possessed by the Babadook? Because there are a lot of times where she does, like, when she gets the knife, like, you initially, when she picks up the knife, you think, oh, she's going to do some bad stuff. She's like, do I have to do this? And then she turns around, cuts the cord. I'm like, okay, thank God, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then later she actually comes to the kid with the knife and I'm thinking, oh God, no, no, no. And so then he locks himself in the room and it's like, okay, well, Amelia's being possessed by the Babadook. So the Babadook is pretending to be Amelia and Amelia is trying to, you get the idea. She's trying to fight it. She eventually does fight it because the kid, yeah, we'll get into that. I got to say, though, one of the biggest things from this, from me, and what I took from this was actually, I'd seen this film prior to when we watched it with my sister. My sister actually fell asleep. I guess maybe she was a very tired person at the time or something, rather. But one of my favorite memories, kind of like how you and I watched Nightmare on Elm Street together for the first time. So really good memory. But one of my favorite things was how the idea that the Babadook actually represented her grief... I loved seeing how she eventually conquers. She doesn't celebrate the kid's birthday because the father died on that same day that the kid was born. She is very kept to herself, I feel like. She seems like she's really not allowing herself to be happy much. Just different things that it, it's hard to put into words just from memory. But yeah. when you look for them, you really get to see how much the grief of losing her husband over like has impacted her over the past six or seven years and you you can also even see it with the way that she looks over time throughout the movie she starts off looking all right like with her hair normal relatively relatively, yeah but over time you see that hair start to get all frazzled and absolutely crazy and then eventually when she's possessed by the babadook She's just insane. She's yeah. completely lost. And I loved how when she actually reads the book, you're kind of like, okay, well, she's probably just seeing things. Because it's implied she's very stressed. She's having to keep up with this kid, her grief, her own life. The kid is being put in and out of different schools, or at least it seems like that. He's one of those kids that needs a little more special attention. And that can be really daunting on, on parents, you know, at least from what I've heard and seen over my life so it's really interesting to kind of see how all these things mesh together and really create a lot of friction in her life and so when the monster does come which is like what would you say a half hour in or nearly about a half hour maybe yeah. maybe 20 20 minutes to a half hour maybe even earlier than that but I feel when like the monster... it took a while for the monster to actually come out. Yeah, and I like that. But when the monster finally does come in, we barely see it. And when we do, we're kind of like, okay, well, she's just overwhelmed. It's not yeah. that bad. She's overwhelmed. And that's the other thing as well that I was going to say that the Bye Bye Man did horribly. Because when it came to the monster in that movie, you already see him like 20 minutes into the movie. Oh, yeah. He's in the shadow. Yeah. You can just see him clear as day. <laughs> the bald... <laughs> the black eyes and everything yeah just like come on if you're gonna make a movie like this take notes from the babadook you yeah. have to have that kind of build up over time and this is the same formula for horror games too you have to set up the atmosphere the tension the build up to eventually when the monster comes out you start seeing these little creepy things just trickle into reality and that's when you finally start to think okay 
this is when stuff starts going horribly wrong. You know, you you keep comparing this to the Bye Bye Man. I actually wanted to let you in on something. The budget of the Bye Bye Man is an estimated $7 million. That's actually over triple the price that they spent on the Babadook. And yet they did so horribly? Mm Mm-hmm. And the Bye Bye Man grossed, I want to say, a worldwide gross of $29.87 million worldwide. And if this... that budget was put towards the Babadook, then the Babadook would have made more, probably. Oh, no, the Babadook wouldn't have even needed that. $2 million was it really, perfect. Yeah, it really didn't even and, need and, it, because this goes... movie did so well just with a budget of $2.5 million. Yeah, and that goes into what I was saying in the last episode about how no matter how much money you put into a movie... And I'm going to use this as an example because I think you and I can both agree we didn't like Thor. We're not going to bash no. it because, A, we are going to avoid the fan base. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need that hate <laughs> right now. And B, more importantly, because that's our opinion and we respect other people's opinions. But you and I can agree that Thor wasn't a very good movie. All right, Christian Bale did great, but that was about it. So that being said, when you have a movie like that, which had like over $100 million, the script was not great. The story was not great at all. I mean, again, Bale was like the only thing that even kept me in the theater, personally. It just felt like there was too much going on with that. Exactly. But with this, there's enough going on. Like, it flicks back and forth, and you can kind of see it flicking back and forth. But it really makes a lot of sense when it lets... I always like this idea that the audience isn't stupid, so don't feed them anything. Like, feed them enough, but don't spoil them. You know what I mean? A dog treat's good for a dog, but five dog treats, you know, it leads to the dog wanting more. Five dog treats at once for the dog, eventually it gets old, and, you know, it doesn't work, and it's not healthy for the dog. Eventually the dog's just going to get fat and lazy, and they're just not going to want to eat anymore. And then the dog, you know, is spoiled. The treat loses how special it is, you know what I mean? And that's kind of how I think how it is here. With the Babadook, there's just enough times where we actually see the monster, and it the design in of itself is good but when she gets the book right so when, when they pick out the book and they start reading it when she starts saying like there's no escape you can't escape the babadook no matter where you look or whatever i don't know exactly how the book goes but something like that it's really kind of starts leading towards the idea of she's just hallucinating and she's just overwhelmed and then you see her like actually have the kid put the book back when she thinks it's gone too far the whole thing is let me in and i don't know if you saw the parallel when she was possessed and she was banging on the door and the kid has locked himself in his room or whatever and she goes let me in yeah let me in i was like that's the moment right there but it says like three knocks well about an hour into the movie or whatever knock 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 right you know Mm -hmm. knock 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 louder after that and so it's really interesting to actually see how they've kind of left this trail of breadcrumbs and then they take you back and they start feeding you the breadcrumbs right so it's really cool i like that one of the things i also liked was the book as well like how when she thinks she's gone too far with it she puts it away yeah so the child, after being read that book, starts going on about how he's going to beat this monster up and defend his mother against the monster, but he lets it affect his life so much that he also mentions it to the people around him. This girl who he went to a birthday party for, even though it was the most awkward kind of setting for a kid, 
Wait, really? Oh, yeah, because, yeah. like, weren't, weren't they just kind of in the house? There was nothing special, no decorations Yeah, the or parents were just in the house, and they had these gifts for her, but it was, like, Looked like the same bag, too. Yeah. Like, the same bags lined up. They all kind of looked similar, too. It's like they the all people. went to Target or something and had, like, a little paper Target bag, like, set up. It's like, you know was there I mean? a clone machine somewhere? And, and, and when she gets the gift, she's like, I already have this one. I was just kind of laughing to myself. Well, thinking, now she has a twin. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now she has a twin. That's her twin cousin or whatever, her twin sister. <laughs> That's so funny. But go yeah. ahead. Yeah, with that book. But yeah, the kid starts mentioning the whole Babadook thing to the people around him. And it starts getting out of hand. The mother starts slowly going mental in a different way just the stress building up even more from this child that is not acting normal in a social setting so it's just a huge headache that she has to deal with you know what i also liked was when she puts the book away it seems like the kid gets the book back somehow and yeah. then it, and it's like okay well she rips up the book because she's had enough of him bringing up the book to everybody and their folks so she rips it up and she throws it in the trash well, a little later, the doorbell rings next day, and there's the book all taped up and glued together. So she finally decides to burn it. And that seems to kind of do the trick. I don't remember the book ever coming back. I yeah. think by then, though, it was too late. Like, the Babadook was already sinking his his teeth into them, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like he, I he do have kinda... a few ideas. Maybe the whole thing about what was happening with the book wasn't actually the child the child being read the book was maybe a one-and-done kind of thing. But as we're following through the movie with this mother slowly going Amelia. insane... yeah. Yeah. I feel like maybe it was her sort of out of reality being affected by this book, bringing it back into her own life somehow. Yeah, I think that actually works as well. I also love the idea of a lot of these characters never seem to go to the police. I actually have the trailer on my iPad in front of me. It just kind of refresh me in my mind and also looking at it while we're discussing it. There is that scene where she goes to the police and she does actually see the Babadook right behind the police. Kind of. She sees like a jacket and the almost like Freddy Krueger claws that Yeah, it has. like the hands. Now, and the hat. Yeah, we got... we Actually, that leads me to this. But real quick, just to finish that point... I think that it was really cool that it was kind of seemed like it was implied that the Babadook was kind of controlling the police because they're like, well, you burnt this book. Well, yeah, because she thinks she has a stalker. She gets a call from the Babadook, however that works. Mm -hmm. I could just imagine the Babadook at like a payphone or something. Babadook. <laughs> Everyone's looking around like, what, what, huh? <laughs> the Babadook's just like in a Brit in London with a phone or whatever. Then there's also the whole bit where she burned the book and then she goes to them. She's like, well, yeah, you pieced it together. You mean the book that you burnt? Well, yeah. And then she just goes, never mind. Because she actually does go to the police. She makes the attempt. She does. What I want to get into now is the actual design of the Babadook as a character, as a monster. So one of my favorite things about this is, as we stated previously... You don't see much of the monster. But when you do, the top hat, the trench coat, and the long fingernails, that silhouette in the trailer, or in the poster, looks amazing. Oh, yeah. I don't know how they did it. You know, and it's white face with its weird eyes and smile. Yeah, it's actually kind of like if Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers sort of fused together, in a way. Just because of the white face and the claws. I guess you could say that. Maybe that's a stretch. I guess you could say I don't know. that. But even so, 
I loved the design of it too. And especially when it came to some of the interactions between the Babadook and Amelia, it's so well done. Like, when she finally comes face to face with this monster, like, halfway through, she still doesn't want to believe it's real, but the way that it moved, especially crawling across the ceiling... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it had some really weird and creepy kind of janky stop motion animation kind of effect, I guess. Which was used perfectly. That, yes. I was going <laughs> to say. Perfectly. That was so good. It's almost like the Terminator. Like you Used can, perfectly. You can definitely tell that this is a completely unnatural force. One of the things that actually got me, and I was thinking, okay, well, I already know what the monster looks like, or generally remember or have an idea of what it looks like from the last time I saw it, was... It actually did creep me out at a moment. I think there's that scene where she's in the kitchen or something and there's like a door and it's dark out and he actually starts like walking. Well, not walking, but like gliding slowly towards her and you can't see anything but the silhouette. Like the hat shines a little bit and the nails do a little and you can kind of see the coat and it just like flicks its fingers like straight. And I was like, oh, God, that is really creepy. That was that, beautiful. I loved that. Like, that actually creeped me out genuinely quite a bit. But I've never seen a story like this before. Or at least nothing quite like this. Have you? I mean, as I've said, I've seen some games before that have played around this kind of concept. Mm -hmm. But even then, the ones that I do remember, it's more so like you take a stuffed animal of a child and that's the monster. Freddy Fazbear or, you, or something like that. Yeah, Freddy Fazbear or even like a child plushie or something. Bendy. Or No, not Bendy. That's no. that's more of like Disney animation gone wrong. In all of the games and such that I've seen that have done a childhood horror kind of story, I've not seen something quite like this where it's not the child going through this horror. It's the mother, and the child has to try to protect the mother and bring her to her senses. Yeah, and, and I loved the idea that the adult of the family always seems, in like a child-adult or parent-child-parent -parent dynamic, the parent always has the power. So going into this, establishing that the kid has all these traps. He's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. You know, he's obsessed with monsters and stuff. She actually lets him know how she feels. Like, you and your flipping monsters all the time. I'm tired of it. And I almost wish that it was you instead of your... Things like, like really harmful, hurtful stuff. And it's like, yeah, maybe the Babadook is, for the most part, encouraging her to say this. But I'm not... Per I'm, I don't think I'm too persuaded that the Babadook made her say it entirely. Yeah, I feel like in that sense, the Babadook gave her a push in the wrong direction. Exactly. Like, pushed her to say that. And one of the things is that this kid's really good building traps and magic and stuff. So there's actually, like, a scene where she starts giving him sedatives, right? You know, to get him to calm down so that he can sleep. And there's a bit where the Babadook's possessed her. And so she is like forcing him to take these sedatives. And he does the magic trick where he pretends to put it in his hand, you know, in his mouth. But it's actually yeah. still in his hand. It's actually just sleight of hand. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. He and just I, hides it. I loved that. I also loved how when he knocks her out, like with the basement and everything, he's tied her up and she gets free. And, you know, finally spits out the whatever monster ooze or whatever always infects these people that I probably could have done without. But I think actually it was necessary because it kind of shows, okay, well the Babadook has freed its grip on her. 
But she then, needed to get it out of yeah, her system. Exactly. We all do sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> what I what I will say is that when you think like, oh, she's conquered the Babadook, the kid's like, well, it never leaves. And then, no. you know, starts picking him up and all that wire work was pretty nice. I also wanted to touch base. I don't know if you have anything else before we get to the end of the film. Uh, not really. The only thing I have here is something... The music, actually. What did you think about the music? Oh, I barely paid attention. I don't think there was much at all. No, there wasn't. No, we got a No Country for Old Men type effect here, didn't we? Yeah, No Country for Old Men or that one movie... The Revenant. No, The Revenant had a lot of music in it. At least when it came to the moments where music was played... It was done very nicely. There wasn't a lot of... Yeah, there wasn't a lot of music in this movie, but the moments where it was in, it just made that scene so much more impactful. And that's the most important part about music, I think, in film and the film industry. What I want to ask you is, how many jump scares do you remember this? Not too many. There's not too many jump scares, but I don't even remember the jump scares. I just remember the moments that are the most creepy out of the whole bunch. And that right there is what I always say is the issue with modern horror. Exactly. The amount of jump scares and loud noises. Oh my gosh. How many loud noises do you remember in this movie? Just the mother screaming at the child mostly. That's it. Exactly. That right. And you'll see this. Okay. When we watch like The Conjuring and stuff. Again, I like to form my own opinions, but I've seen a lot of critique and, and you know critiques and reviews on a lot of the Conjuring Universe movies, even Paranormal Activity. We'll watch. We'll do Paranormal Activity because I've seen Paranormal Activity. It's different in terms of like a ghost, but we'll talk about that at some point because I want you to see how many jump scares are used in the modern horror industry. Okay, way it too is much. So horrible. I'm gonna say this: this movie is a breath of fresh air to the horror industry, even if it did come out in 2014. That's how I feel about this. And I'm just going to say right now, I'm glad that I've seen this movie. It's Because you've been talking about how this is a perfect example of modern horror done right. Mm -hmm. And I can very clearly see it. This is modern day horror, what they should be able to do. And you know what the best part was? It cost them $2 million. Not $157 million. Not $100 million. Not even $50 million. $2 million. And barely any jump scares. Yep. And the best part, it's an original idea. At least mm-hmm. the way I see it. And I would be willing to go as far as to say, apply this kind of thing to any sort of horror theme. Whether it's a movie, it's a game, it's just a book. Like, yeah. if you can just get that image in someone's head just from description alone, that will make something truly memorable you know one of my favorite things about when i listen to stephen king for those of you that don't know i'm actually very closed in about this but i have adhd and so it's hard at times to actually read books like to sit down and really read a book so i use audible to really kind of listen to that stuff right and one of my favorite things about the three stephen king books that i've been listening to i finished pet cemetery i finished the dark half and i'm currently listening to desperation my favorite thing about stephen king's ability to tell a story is it sticks with you mm-hmm. you'll see when we do pet cemetery i encourage you if you have audible to listen to pet cemetery as well beforehand i don't have audible but i have considered it heavily multiple yeah. times what i always say is it's great because you can just hear somebody reading it to you and then it lets your imagination just kind of 
You know what I mean? And it's easy for me because but I'm trying to make myself read through misery. But anyway, it's another whole topic <laughs> in and of itself. What I'm getting at is Stephen King is really good at painting pictures in people's minds. This director, Jennifer Kent's ability to, like you said, make things stick with you is incredible. One of the scenes that I think I'll remember the most is they have this old lady with Parkinson's that lives across the street. And when Amelia's cleaning the dishes and she looks up one of the times, she misses the whole love aspect of that relationship since she lost her husband all those years ago. So you see a lot of that, like when she's in the car and she sees this couple across the parking lot actually making love to each other. I mean, just like kissing a bunch. There's that, but she also sees like this old lady who's by herself next door, her neighbor. I feel almost like it was she was looking at her and thinking, well, I just don't want to end up like that. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. That's kind of how I interpreted it, which is another great thing about this movie. You're left to interpret everything. But she looks up at one point and she actually sees the Babadook right behind the old lady. And she's just staring across the window. And it's like, dude, this is amazing. Because nobody else seems to be able to see the Babadook but her and the kid. But it's like, man... Yes, like that's one that of the That was probably one of my favorite moments of the yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a great shot. It's a great scene. And frankly, just done so well. The end of this movie, I kind of wanted to conquer. And then I think that'll bring us to the end of the episode. The end of this movie really sticks with you. I wanted to get your interpretation on the end of the movie. So they overcome the threat that is the Babadook. And she seems a lot more positive. But they pick out these worms in their garden. And they bring it down to this darkness so the ending of this movie the mother and the child are finally living at peace with each other and they're finally doing these activities as a normal family would they even celebrate the child's birthday on the day that i guess these social workers come in and the kid said this is the first time that they've celebrated his birthday and honestly that was a very heartwarming moment for me too because like finally We have a moment where this child is getting the memories that he deserves. The life that he kind of... It's still a little messed up with the presence of the Babadook. Yeah, but but the life that he, like every child, should be able to have. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, aside from that, yeah. They celebrate his birthday and they're finally doing all these activities together. The mother and the child are in the backyard at one point, and he's showing off his little magic tricks that he's been working on, somehow hiding a coin inside of a, like, cookie tin or something. Yeah, it's like one of those silver platters yeah, that, silver that platter. the fancy people... He does the little wand abracadabra yeah. stuff or whatever, and a dove appears in, in Do you the think tin. that's good symbolism, actually? The dove representing the calm and the peace? Possibly. I think From that... nothing, you earn peace and prosperity. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, but again, interpretation. Yeah, even so. Maybe we're just looking a little bit too much into it at that point, but... But still, it's worth, eh, it's worth a mention, I think. It's a thought. But go ahead. Sure. But one of the weird things is that they're digging up all of these worms as well and putting it in a bowl where, you know, it's just a massive amount of worms. But when it comes to the very end of the movie, you see the mother go into the basement where the final... Was it the final confrontation against the Babadook? 
It was her final time, well, on screen at least. Yeah. Face to face with the Babadook. But we yeah, didn't even either... see if it was the Babadook. Yeah, we didn't even see if it was because when they went to the basement or the mother, she brought the bowl down there with her and placed it in the very middle of the room. And she backed up a little bit to see what would happen, I guess. The Babadook assaulted her, actually. Yeah, it still. actually, like, runs at her. Like, and... Yeah, she was, but like, it, but bent it, over. But you don't actually see it. You yeah, don't you don't see, see anything about what's happening. You just know that somehow there's potentially a supernatural force that is bending her over and trying to attack her. Mm-hmm. But she overcomes that force and calms it down. And we see the bull just glide across the floor into the shadows and we don't see anything more about it after that. And you know, the kid was like, well, can I go down with you? And at first I'm thinking, oh, he wants to see his dad or whatever, you know what I mean? And then she goes down and has that encounter. And I thought that I think right there is the perfect scene to really capture the grief aspect of this movie and that the Babadook represents grief. And I think for anybody that's lost somebody, which is one of the worst things in this world, but we've all experienced it in some way or another, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we'll experience it again, as that's what life is. But I think it was really great for that scene to be left in there, because I think it, to me at least, the way I interpreted it was, no matter how great life is, you're still going to experience loss and grief. And the Babadook really demonstrated that through the use of her husband, like continuing to be like, oh, you can be with me, you know, and implying go kill your son and yourself so you can be with me and, you know, whatever. I was like, well, what about the dog? Yeah, the dog too, I guess, <laughs> whatever. But, <laughs> you know, go kill Sam and yourself. And Amelia's like really considering it for a minute, you know, because she's being overcome by the Babadook and all that. But I think no matter how good life gets, grief is still going to be a big part of everybody and we all handle it differently. And I think when she overcomes it at the end, like when it comes over to bend her back and, you know, catch her before she hits the ground or whatever, she's like, no, no, and kind of talks it down. I think that's kind of how she's dealing with her depression or her grief. You know, the Babadook could be depression as well. But it, it was like, okay, well, she's overcome it. It's still there and it will always be there. But it's just a matter of how do you really overcome it and how do you deal with that? That's what I loved about this movie. To me, that's how I interpret it. How did you interpret this? Honestly, I feel like what you're saying is pretty close to what I think the movie is trying to represent as well. The Babadook is Amelia's grief. And throughout the movie, she's just trying to cope with it. She doesn't really have any sort of coping mechanism. And so it overcomes her and almost takes her over eventually driving her to commit harm upon others and then herself. Actually, I think it did take her over entirely for a little bit. For a little bit, but somehow she was able to snap out of it. Mm -hmm. But even so, I guess the main thought that I have, and this is actually bringing me back to something that you said in the previous episode when we were talking about Halloween, that regardless of whether we want to admit it or not, we as an audience want to think. And so... This is what I'm thinking. The Babadook never truly existed. It was always just Amelia and her depression and her grief. Even at that very end where she got bent over while being attacked by this supposed force, 
I don't know if it ever was truly there. It was her hallucinating out of her own mental instability and trying to come to terms with herself. You know what, actually? And now that you mention it, I can completely agree there, too, with that, like with what you just said. And that's what I love, and I think this is so great about this movie. You could be right. I can be right. My parents, if they see this movie, could be right. Whoever's wa- listening to this Who knows? is right. Anyone can Everybody's be right. right. And that's the best part of this that's movie. That's the beauty about an ambiguous ending like exactly. that. It's a talking point. Exactly. And that's the best part about this movie is everybody's right. Exactly. Nobody's wrong. That's why we're doing this podcast, too. Exactly. It's just a really fun thing to talk about. And so that's, I think, a great way to close on this episode is everybody is able to walk away feeling a different, you know, a certain way about this and being able to come to their own conclusions. That right there is a perfect example of what modern day horror could be. Not always having to be jump scares and loud music and loud noises and the darkest chapter in the Conjuring universe and blah, 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 (laughs) blah, blah. It's about kind of what you take away from it, right? I love Halloween. Halloween is never, and by that I mean 1978's Halloween. You'll, yeah, you'll, the movie. We'll be watching, and we may very well be covering 2018's Halloween and Halloween Kills. We will be covering Halloween Ends. It's up to you, Matt. It's up to you if you want to cover those. But point being that Halloween 78 didn't do that for me. And yet I found some other, you know, and it wasn't supposed to, I don't think that's what it set out to do, right? But that movie did something else for me. And in the same way, this movie has given us the ability to form our own conclusions. Halloween was an opportunity to see the slasher film being brought into the modern era, you know, and, and go listen to our episode about it. I mean, what we yeah. how we interpreted it. I'm not going to give it all away here. It's the episode literally just below this one. Yeah. So we took away what we did with Halloween there's a lot to take away from this movie for the Babadook, right? And so I think as you and I separate and go our separate ways today and this evening and throughout this week, and you as a listener, go see this movie, and I bet you almost anything, the next time we see each other, we all get together here, you, me, and the listeners, we will all have a new theory, one that we didn't think of, before this episode or during it. And that right there is the best part about this movie, in my opinion. And with that being said, I think that's an episode right there. Yeah, I'd so, say that's the perfect ending to it. Yeah, so if you want to close this out, as per usual, I'm going to make you do all <laughs> the hard work here. Mr. I'm going to carry you. Right. This is what I always love, is every time we start recording, or like we're about to record, I always say you're going to have to carry me through this movie. I always make like at least five notes or more. That's what I've told you to do as well. Five or more, just so we have a bunch of talking points. And even if they're the same thing, at least we'll have something to go to and, and as reference. And I'll always love how I always come up with all these ideas <laughs> as we're recording. Yeah, and then you just you're have a lot to notes. say. Yeah, and you're looking at your notes like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Which is nothing wrong with that. I just always find it funny that I'm like, oh, Matt, you're going to have to carry me again tonight. And it's like, <laughs> okay, and here we go. <laughs> we hit record, it's like, nope. We're gonna... I mean, at least some of those talking points gets you talking so that exactly. eventually you can get more talking points yourself. So technically, I am still carrying you. Case in point. 
we're all left up to our own interpretations, Matt. <laughs> if that's how you want to interpret this episode and this conversation, then by all means, you have a right to do it, even if it is wrong. So, <laughs> so that hey, that's so, your own opinion. That, <laughs> and you know what the best part of that is? You're right. I'm right. The listener's right. We're all right. I mean, I don't quite think you're right, but we can say you're right just this once. Just do it. Just make me all feel right. good about all myself. Right, fine. Anyways, yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Film Freaks. If you want to reach us at all, we have an email that you can send a message to, thefilmfreaks01 at gmail.com. I also run the Twitter. You can send a tweet there or a direct message, I believe. And that would be at filmfreaks underscore pod. We also have an Instagram and a TikTok where both of those handles are filmfreakspod without an underscore. Yeah, and so one of the things I, I think I want to challenge everybody to do for this week, right, for this episode, is while you're going about your day and you are doing, you know, living your day-to-day life, doing whatever, and you've listened to this episode, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> I want you to kind of think about this movie as well as modern-day horror and really what this movie means for the genre and I also, if you feel like you want some extra credit here, you know, not being graded or given this assignment, you know, it's a, a more of a challenge, I'd say. Email in and, and tell us what your interpretation of the Babadook is, because we want to hear it from you. Because as we've established already in this episode, there is no wrong answer. So go about your day and think about it. You know, see this movie as most of these movies we cover. I mean, I don't think you need to see The Bye Bye Man or Lamageddon personally, but if those are what you want to do, see these movies for yourself and form your own opinions because that is what film is about and this is a perfect example of just that. See this movie and form your own opinion and your own interpretation. And that being said, it's been another episode of The Film Freaks. Thank you again for listening and we will catch you all later. Peace. <laughs>